Isaiah chapter 40 says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens by his span and calculated the dust of the earth by measure and weighed the mountains in a balance? Who's directed the spirit of the Lord or who is his counselor? Who has informed him? With whom did he consult and who gave him understanding? Who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding? Behold, nations are like drop from a bucket and are regarded as a speck dust on the scales. In Job chapter 30, Job chapter 37, God finally breaks his silence to Job and speaks and asks him this question. He says, where were you, Job? When I hung the earth on nothing. Where were you when I told the oceans you can go this far and no more? Where were you? I think when we focus on the bigness of our problems, we fail to see the bigness of our God. But when we focus on the greatness of our God, the things of this earth grow strangely dim. If you have your Bibles this morning, I encourage you to open up to the book of Matthew chapter 13. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 13, as we continue our study in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 13. Somebody asked me, I think it was Joel who asked me the other day, he said, how long do you think you'll be in the book of Matthew? I just smiled. As if we, we, it took me about three and a half years to go through the book of John. Uh, John has 21 chapters. Matthew has 28. Uh, probably about four years, give or take. Uh, Matthew chapter 13. That doesn't mean that, we'll take bre- that we won't take breaks. Uh, uh, but we're going to be this morning in the book of Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be reading verses 44 uh, through 52. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field with a man, which a man found and hid. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up upon the beach. And they sat down and they gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad fish they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age that the angels shall come forth and shall take the wicked from among the righteous and will cast them into the furnace of fire. And there shall be weeping of gnashing and teeth. Have you understood all of these things? They said to him, yes. He said to them, therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of household who brings forth out of his treasure things new and old. Let's pray. God, as we hear your word this morning, may you speak to our hearts. May you convict us of that which is sin, that which is not in accordance with your word. And may you find our hearts open, contrite, 
humble before your spirit. Lord, this morning, may Jesus be lifted up as the Lord of all. May we be encouraged to live in obedience and love the world, just as Christ loved the world. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray, amen. We've all heard the statement, the grass is greener, the grass is uh, greener on the other side, and and historically that, that has meant, or that has translated to the grass is not always greener on the other side, but I'm proposing this morning that the grass is greener on the other side, because as we look at this world, and we look at all that this world has to offer, there is a world that is coming that offers far more than this world that we're living in. And as we look around the room this morning, and as we, uh, as we share our lives with one another, as we talk about the, the, the things that are going on in our lives, we talk about hardships, we talk about difficulty, we talk about good things, we talk about uh, things that are joyful, there are always... In the world that we live in, there are trials, there are hardships, there is affliction, there is tribulation. But the scripture tells us in Revelation that that one day that God will wipe away all of our tears, that, that sorrow will be no more, and that we will live forever in the glory that is to come. And so the world that is to come is better than what this world has to offer, amen? That sounds like y'all are really convinced of that. This world that we live in today is broken. And the world that is to come is so much greater than the world that we live in. Amen? That is true. I pray that as we leave the place today, that as we leave the house of God today, that you will leave valuing the world that is to come greater than this world. As we look at Matthew chapter 13, we see Matthew chapter 13 divided into two distinct sections. Jesus gives a set of parables to the multitudes. In Matthew chapter 13, 1 through verse 43, Jesus is speaking, actually verse uh, 34, Jesus is speaking to the multitudes. And he gives them a parable of the sower, and he gives them a parable of the tares, and he gives them a parable of the mustard seed, and he gives them a parable of the leaven. And so we see all of these parables that are given to the multitudes. And we are told in Matthew chapter 13, those first four, those first 34 verses, that the multitudes don't understand the parables that Jesus is preaching. That that they just don't get it. And we are told in that section that, that, that Jesus does not intend for the multitudes to get all that he's saying, to understand all that he's saying. In fact, Jesus understood that even his disciples would not get all that he said. And it would, it would not be till after Pentecost, it would not be till after the coming of the Holy Spirit that his disciples would, would finally understand and the light bulbs would go off and all of a sudden they were like, oh, that's what he meant when he said, I must be destroyed, the temple will be destroyed and three days later it will be, raised, it will be, it will be rebuilt. That's what he meant. They all of a sudden, after Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, all of these things start, these light bulbs start going off. Because we'll see in just a few chapters, Peter makes this, this amazing confession, this amazing statement, Thou art the Christ, Son of the living God. Uh, and, and Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for, God, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. We see this wonderful statement. And then a few verses later, Peter starts saying that, that Jesus, we're never going to let you die. We're not going to let that happen. And then Jesus calls him Satan. And so 
we see that the disciples don't always get it. As we look at Matthew chapter 13, there's clearly two distinctions. You have Jesus speaking to the multitudes and then Jesus speaking to his disciples. And as we concluded last week, we concluded with Jesus' parables to the multitudes that the world is not impressed with organized Christendom. The world looks at the church and they are not impressed. We look at the parable of the leaven. Leaven, sin, infects every area of the church. From the highest of the high to the lowest of low. It does not matter whether, whether what denomination, whether you're Catholic, Baptist, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, Lutheran, Assemblies of God, it doesn't matter. Sin infects and affects the church because the church is made up of broken people. And the world is not impressed with that. The world is not impressed. We see the parable of the wheat and the tare. And and the the idea and the reality is that that there are good good crops that are growing amongst the weeds, that the weeds are growing and the wheat is growing, and, and they're growing together in the same field. And in our churches, there are people who are living in our churches, who are worshiping in our churches, who are hearing the word of the gospel, and who are tares and who are weeds. And so they asked Jesus, well, do we, do we root them out? Do we kick them out? Do we do, we do what we can to, to pull out the weeds? Jesus said, no. Because by doing so, you may uproot the wheat. But the world looks at the church and they see they're liars, they're hypocrites, they're, they're, they're disgusting, sinful people in and amongst the church. And they're not impressed. The world looks at the church and they see those who claim Jesus until afflictions come. Those who claim Jesus until the worries of this world choke them out. Those who who hear the gospel but never respond. They see the parable of the sower being fleshed out. They see that their gospel seed, the message being sown amongst the the road and the thorns and amongst the rocky soil. And it does not bear fruit. And the world looks at that and and, and they're not impressed. But what is impressive is Jesus. And so as we look at last week's conclusion that the world is not impressed with organized religion. The world is not impressed with organized Christianity. Let us look at these next passages. What is impressive? The kingdom of heaven. That is what is impressive. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a treasure. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a pearl of great price. That is impressive. And so, I want to start, and we're going to start, we're going to start at the end and work backwards. We're going to go from the last parable to the first parable. And so we're going to kind of work backwards. And Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who casts a net, and as he pulls it in, that he gets all kinds of fish. And then he takes and he separates the good fish from the bad fish. And Jesus says, in the end of the age, this is what's going to happen. That there, will, that, there, that there will be a demarcation. There will be a separation from that which is good to that which is bad. And all of us, all of us here desire to be that which is good, right? Does anybody want to be thrown into the bad section? Probably not. There's, we see other passages of Scripture where Jesus says the sheep will be separated from the goats. And so, so nobody wants to be a goat, everybody wants to be a sheep. Nobody wants to be a bad fish, everybody wants to be a good fish. Interesting note, the bad fish, that which was unclean, was probably catfish. 
just 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 so so you know because in 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 the the uh kosher law and this is just a side note this is all free uh the the kosher law uh you could not eat a fish without a scale jewish law the in order for you to eat fish it had to have a scale well catfish don't have scales they have skin in fact, later on, whenever Jesus makes the statement, he said, if you ask your father for a fish, he will not give you a serpent, will he? The actual translation, the actual Greek translation, is if you ask your father for a fish, he will not give you a catfish, will he? He will not give you one of those fish that are unclean. Now, we in South Louisiana, we know that, that, that those Jews, they didn't have a clue that a, a, good, a good pond-raised catfish, that, that's, that's good eating, right? <clears throat> but there is clear distinction a clear distinguishing between that which is a good fish and that which is bad fish. And we want to ask the question, am I a good fish or am I a bad fish? Well, when I was growing up, it was clear to anyone that knew me that I was a bad fish. Uh, I, was, uh, I was that kid that, uh, that you didn't want your children hanging out with. You know, there, there, there are lots of parents that I talk to over the years, and they say, you know, you know, little Johnny, he just got mixed up with the wrong crowd. You know, little, little, little Billy, he just, you know, everywhere he went, he got mixed up with the wrong crowd. I was the wrong crowd. I was the kid that that you didn't want your your kids hanging out with. I was the one who got kicked out of kindergarten because uh, I couldn't stop beating people up. Uh, I was the kid who uh, spent his the majority of his. Uh, afternoons in detention because I would take a bolt and put it in a pencil sharpener just to see what would happen. I was the kid, I was the kid who, who was always doing what I wasn't supposed to. And not only was I always doing what I wasn't supposed to, but I wasn't sneaky enough to not get caught. And so not only was I the bad kid, but I was the bad kid who, who didn't have the sense to stop talking whenever the teacher walked in the room or didn't have a sense, uh, didn't have the good sense to quit doing uh, whatever it was that I wasn't supposed to be doing when the principal turned the corner. And so I was that bad kid. But I asked the question, am I a good fish or am I a bad, bad fish? And I want us to understand that our quality is not based upon our behavior or our association. It's not based upon what we do. If we look back through the New Testament, if we look just at, at behavior, who were those good fish? The Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the rich young ruler. When he came to Jesus, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looked at him and said, keep the law. And what was his response? I've done that since I was a young child. I've kept all of the commandments. Jesus then responded, go and sell all that you have. Come follow me. But who was it that Jesus demonstrated grace to? Who was it that Jesus considered a good fish? Zacchaeus, a tax collector. The woman caught in adultery. The Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. The thief hanging upon the cross, being crucified for crimes he had been convicted of. All of these, according to Scripture, are good fish. 
So therefore, we can, we, can, we can extrapolate and we can understand and we can deduce that our quality is not based upon what we do or what we don't do. Amen? If you're that bad kid, you are thankful that our quality is not based upon what we do or what we don't do. If you've convinced yourself that you are that good kid, let me encourage you with this. You're good not because of what you do or what you don't do, but because of what Jesus did. So, I want to point out, and I want to look at, look at Zacchaeus, look at the thief, look at the Samaritan woman, because all of these are, are considered, all of these are considered by Scripture to be good fish. And so what is, it, what is it that makes them good fish? Well, all of these, Zacchaeus, the rich young, uh, Zacchaeus compared to the rich young ruler. What did Zacchaeus do compared to the rich young ruler? The rich young ruler kept all the law, but Jesus said, told him, go sell all that you have and come follow me. Zacchaeus, the scripture tells us, sold all that he had to repay his debt. He realized that the treasure was worth more than all that he had on this earth. The Samaritan woman, the thief, they realized the value of the treasure before them compared to the rich young ruler, compared to the Pharisees, compared to the scribes. They realized that the value of this world that is to come was of greater value than anything this world has to offer. It's interesting that all who realized this in Scripture were willing to sacrifice everything. Go with me, if you will, to the book of Philippians chapter 3 wants to see Paul's statement. Philippians chapter 3. <clears throat> Paul, it's interesting, Paul writes the book of Philippians, and the setting from which Paul writes the book of Philippians uh, is in prison. Paul is in prison, and he writes a letter to the church at Philippi, and the book of Philippians is characterized by joy and thanksgiving, more so than any of Paul's letters, and yet he writes it from prison. Listen to verse 8. That's, actually, let's back up to verse 7. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 8. More than I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ my Lord. And so we see Jesus placing the value not on the things of this world, but on knowing Christ as his Lord. Look at the next statement. For whom I have suffered the loss of most things. Is that what it says? Paul says, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, garbage, trash. Paul says, I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but trash, but garbage, in order that I may gain Christ. All who realize the value of the world that is to come are willing to sacrifice everything they have in order that they may gain this treasure. So here's the question I have to you. What is important to us? For what do we sacrifice? Well, let me answer that for us. Many of us make sacrifices to send our children to private school. We live in East Baton Rouge Parish. You say, I'm not sending my kid to that school. I'm not sending my kid to this school. You know, I want the best possible education for my children. Therefore, I will make sacrifices. I will do without. 
I will, will forego that family vacation. I will forego uh, the, the, the new toys. I will forego whatever it is that, that we forego so that our kids can have the best education. Maybe you sacrifice for the family vacation. Maybe you sacrifice for retirement. Dave Ramsey, we're, we're, we're about to uh, start a financial peace study here at the church and his whole premise is live like no one else today so that you can live like no one else tomorrow. Sacrifice today so that one day you will be able to live and give like no one else. And so the idea many of us have is that we're going to sacrifice today. We're going to do without today so that we can put money away in our retirement so that when we're 60, 70, 80 years old that we will be financially secure. And so, so we sacrifice for our retirement. We sacrifice for our children's college funds. We, many of us, sacrifice for our marriages. We sacrifice for our careers. That's where our treasure is. Our children, our family, our marriage, our future. How do we know? Because that's what we give up everything for. So here's the question I have. Is Jesus our treasure? Let's look at the text, Matthew chapter 13. <clears throat> am I a good fish or am I a bad fish? Am I a good? Am I a sheep or am I a goat? Well, Matthew chapter 13 tells us that if we're a good fish, verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and hid. And from joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. We understand Zacchaeus understood that. We understand that, that Paul understood that. He said, all of, my, all of my diligence and all of my effort to become a Pharisee and to advance in Judaism is all for naught if I can't have Jesus. And I, am, I will sacrifice all of that that I may have Christ. Zacchaeus said, all of my, my advancements in the, in the Roman government, all of my... my Affluence that I've gained, it's all for naught. It is all for nothing if I can't have Christ. Nicodemus, the end of his life, realized that. Came to Jesus as a teacher of the law, inquiring, what does it mean to be born again? And yet we see Nicodemus at Jesus' death. We see Nicodemus at Jesus' death there with Joseph of Arimathea. He understood that advancement in Judaism is nothing if I can't know Christ. Christ was his treasure, and he sacrificed all that he had in order to gain it. And so here's the question, is Christ our treasure? Is Jesus our treasure? It's interesting. We're a good fish because he is my treasure. But interestingly enough, the only way that He can become our treasure is because we are His treasure. Let's unpack that a little bit. The Scripture tells us that there's none good, none who seek God. The Scripture tells us that we are born 
sinners. The scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are born children of wrath. And so how is it that, that we as sinners, as those who desire to do that which is evil, those who desire to seek wickedness, how is it that we begin to seek this treasure that is greater than anything that this world has to offer? Christ is our example. He sought us. I want to pose an alternate view of the parable in verse 44 and verse 45 and 46. The only way Jesus can become our treasure is because we are His treasure. Psalm 8, verse 4 and 5 says, What is man that you are mindful of him? And the Son of Man, that you do care for Him. Yet you have made Him a little lower than God and crowned Him with the glory and majesty. The book of Luke, verse 19 and 10 says this. It says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. I want to propose this morning that the reason, the only possible way that we can understand the value of the coming kingdom, the only possible way that we can understand the value of the treasure that is hidden in the field, the only possible way that we can understand the value of the pearl of great price is because Jesus has recognized our value and sought us and purchased us and we have become His and now because we are His, we can seek Him. Jesus seeks us, and He seeks us while we are sinners. He seeks us because He sees value in us, not based upon our behavior, not based upon our association. He sees us for who we are as a child of the living God. He sees the image of God, the Imago Dei, in us. While distorted, while stained with sin, He sees value in us. And seeks us. And when he finds us, he forsakes all that he may purchase us. Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse nine. Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse nine, we read, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. The greatest example of him who saw the treasure and forsook all in order that he may purchase that treasure is Christ. He was God, very God. Had all that the world and that world, this world and the world that is to come, was sitting at the pinnacle of glory and forsook everything and became a man. was born in a feed trough, was laid in a feed trough, was wrapped in dirty strips of cloth, was visited by peasants. Spent the first two years of his life running from the king who tried to kill him. 
was misunderstood by his family. His brothers mocked him. His mother and father didn't even understand him. He was rejected by men. The scripture tells us in Isaiah chapter 53 that Jesus is a man rejected by men, acquainted with grief. He's a man of sorrows. All of his followers, all of them, left him. On the day of his crucifixion, the disciples scattered like roaches when you turn on the lights. Peter, who am just who had just confessed Him as the Christ and had just said, we will never leave you. At the first hint of trouble, Peter denies Him. Judas literally sells Him out for 30 pieces of silver. The rest of the disciples scatter. The only one that is found at His cross is John, and he's hiding behind Jesus' mother. He's crucified as a sinner. Crucified as a criminal. God, very God, forsook all of the glory of heaven, became a man that He might purchase you and I. The very epitome of Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 and 45 and 46. Jesus seeks us. When no one else saw value in us, Jesus saw value in us. And when He finds us, He purchases us. But I want to look at the next passage. Not just does He purchase us speaking generally, but look at the next passage, verse 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And when he finds it, he sells all that he has to buy that one pearl of great price. Not only does Christ see value in us as humanity, but He sees value in you. As one individual pearl, He sells all that he has that he might purchase it. What's interesting about a pearl is a pearl is created when a piece of sand or pebble or debris gets inside the oyster. And the oyster begins to surround that that offense, that grit with what is called mother of pearl. And it begins to, to coat that grit so that it protects itself. And that which was the offense becomes the very thing of great value. Not only does God purchase us in general, but He purchases us individually. He sees the value in us individually. He sees the value in me not because i have any intrinsic value but because christ paid for me i am valuable second corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 says this that god made him who knew no sin to become sin that i might become the righteousness of god the very offense became that which is beautiful It's interesting when you read John's depiction of the cross. It speaks of the cross as the glory of God. The glory of God is that 
which paid for my sin. The glory of God, that which was offensive, that which was was putrid, my sin, which was infinitely offensive to God, became the very means for the highest exaltation of the glory of God. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So the question I pose to you this morning, am I a good fish or am I a bad fish? Well, the answer is we all come into this world as bad fish in need of a Savior. The only thing that makes us good fish is when we are changed by Jesus. When we go from death to life, when we go from being children of wrath to being children of God. And the good news of the gospel is this, that all of those who place their faith and trust in Jesus are called children of God. He tells us in John, he tells us that, that all of those who confess, First John, he says, if you confess your sin, that God is faithful and just to forgive you of any and all unrighteousness. And to those who call upon his name, to them he gave the right to be called children of God. What makes us valuable is because He saw value in us. The only way, the only way that we can have this understanding, the only way that we can view the world that is to come greater than this world is because He gave His all for us. So the question I have, are you a good fish or are you a bad fish? The only way we're a good fish is because of what Jesus did. His death, His burial, and His resurrection. Let's pray. Father, there are those here this morning who long to be a good fish. They want to value the world that is to come greater than this world. But they, like so many others, are choked out by the worry and deception of this world. They, like so many others, value the things of this world they say with Paul I do the very things I don't want to do and the very things I don't want to do that's what I do the good news of the gospel is that Jesus died for sinners For those who have tried and tried and tried and can't be good enough. That's whom Jesus died for. His death, His burial, and His resurrection is not for the rich young ruler who obeyed all the commandments, but it's for that thief upon the cross who failed time and time again. The message of the gospel is not for those who have it all together. The message of the gospel is for those who know they're broken. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to come. Come and seek the treasure that is worth more than anything this world has to offer. Jesus said, you will seek me and you will find me. You seek for me with all your heart. There are those here this morning who've placed way too much value 
on this world. And God this morning is convicting you of your need to reprioritize your life. Maybe this morning is a time for you to gain perspective. God, as we go into this time of invitation, may your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts and may you find us obedient. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.